0: welcome back to the forge where we are continuing our study in the book of james and in our previous podcast we covered one verse that's right we did james chapter one verse one i promise we're going to cover a lot more in this podcast Um, but if you were taking notes you could think of that uh, previous podcast as your introduction and this podcast would be point number one And your takeaway is going to be coming from the remainder of chapter 1. and We're talking about, in this podcast, the testing of faith. The testing of faith. So we're going to pick it up, James chapter 1, verse 2. And like I said, I'm sure we're going to cover a lot more than a single verse. So notice in verse 2 that... It doesn't say if it says when it doesn't say if it says when he says my brothers it all joy when you fall into various trials so this assumes that you will have trials and that you will profit from them now remember this is a message to christians so christian You are going to have trials, and the good news is you're going to profit from them. And he further says that we're to count it all joy when the trial comes. Why? Because the testing of our faith will produce patience. The tough times will teach us to persevere, and we have a guarantee that we will persevere. So how can a person find joy in trials? We're to see trials as an opportunity for development in us. One of the things that I have said is that I must remember that whatever it is I'm facing, whatever it is I'm going through, that it is for my good and it is for God's glory. I often think about martyrs of the past a great book that I recommend for you to read, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Fox's Book of Martyrs. And there's the old original one. And then there's actually a revised edition that has come out. And it has some of the martyrs from the 20th century. And if I'm not mistaken, even as late as the early 2000s. You know, it's this attitude finding the joy in the trials that enabled men and women to go to their deaths for the faith and truly considering it a joy to partake in the sufferings of Christ. It was this attitude that led them to those times of persecution while singing God's praises. So, James 1, verse 2, 3, 4, it lets us know that the trial will work patience in us. And patience will bring a wholeness and a maturity that cannot be gained any other way. I want to read a quote to you. This quote comes from the Bible Knowledge Commentary. And it says, Trials can be faced with joy because infused with faith, perseverance results. And if perseverance goes full term, it will develop a thoroughly mature Christian who lacks nothing. I'm learning through the process of a trial that God is sovereign and that God is good. And if there was any other way to produce what he desires to produce in me without the pain of testing, he surely would do it that way. But he knows me. He knows me better than I know myself. And there is no shortcut. The trial must come. And so... You know, I think about Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, another great book in the New Testament. Um, they're all great books, aren't they? The Bible, <laughs> all 66. Every I feel like every time I, I mention a book of the Bible, I go, oh, this is my favorite book of the Bible. And then I read another one. But truly, whenever, <laughs> when you develop a love for God's word, you um, This is what happens to you. You just start going, oh, there's so much truth. It's here, it's there, it's everywhere, you know. There's meat here. But um, to get focused for a second here, in the book of Hebrews, um, Jesus focused upon the joy that was set before him. And he endured the cross. And that's in Hebrews chapter 12, where Jesus focused on the joy that was set before him. And he went so far as the pain of the cross because of that joy. So I am to keep this in mind when the trial comes my way. Um, you know, I when I was a youth pastor, um, I would hear young people say, um, bring it, you know, if there was a challenge or or some kind of competition going on, or or just, you know, sports, or whatever the case might be. That was a thing that they would say is, bring it. Um, we used to say, bring it on, but the kids would, you know, they kind of shorten it. Bring it. Well, that is almost to be our attitude. Bring it, because I know that God is good. I know that God is sovereign. I know that it is for my good and for his glorification. And if it glorifies him, what can be wrong with that? So uh, read 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 6 through 3. Paul instructs us that these trials will lead to purity, understanding, patience, kindness, and love. So you see here already from the onset, we have a harmony between the book of James. We have a harmony in the book of 2 Corinthians and in the book of Hebrews about the joy that comes from trial. And just to be clear here, at the time of this podcast, we are experiencing a um, <laughs> a COVID-19 pandemic that's what we have been told that it is we've been in this situation now for about a year wearing masks um practicing social distancing being told to stay home if we're sick and this is one place where the church in america um has honestly been divided there are fellowships that have said uh we must comply. We must do what the government tells us to do. God has appointed the government. The scriptures are very clear about that. And um, we are to submit to the government authorities. And then on the other hand, we have folks uh, within Christian uh, Christianity saying, uh, I will not bow to Caesar. Um, I will. We'll continue to have church. We're not going to wear masks. We're going to hug necks and shake hands. We're going to greet our brother with a holy kiss. We're going to come to the Lord's table and partake of the bread and the wine of communion. We are going to come to the waters of baptism. And we're going to participate in all these things. We're going to sing. We're going to fellowship because that's what our lord has commanded us to do and i'm pretty sure that you could probably tell from my tone and my passion and everything that was coming through there which side of this argument i come down on yes we are to submit to the government authorities Um, god has established government god ordained government and the word tells us that kings and kingdoms rise and fall based upon god In fact, I would uh, go so far as to say, just like our Lord said, and like the saints of old said, uh, listen, Caesar, the only reason that you are in power is because my heavenly father has granted it to you to be in power. And if he didn't want you to be in power, you would not be. I'm reminded of Pharaoh, who was raised up by God for the purpose that God would make his name known. And we think of Cyrus uh, being prophesied um, in uh, the book of Isaiah and in and, and, uh, and Daniel. Don't you know that to see your name written in Scripture before you were even born, don't you know that had to do something to King Cyrus? And so <clears throat> we do recognize that God um, appoints uh, those who are in charge, and he has ordained government. Indeed, I would go so far as to say that government is a gift from God. But, and this is huge, I will obey God rather than men. I will only obey my government to the extent that they do not violate God's holy law, His commands. And He has commanded us very clearly that we are to fellowship with one another as Christians, We are to partake in these things, and I will. um, I will not bow to Caesar, and I encourage you to do the same. And just um, one of the folks that I listen to, uh, watch regularly, listen to, uh, Dr. James White over at Alpha and Omega Ministries. And one of the questions that I've heard him ask on his program is, are you ready to take care of your pastor? Do you and your elders, do you have something in place to take care of your pastor when the time comes? And you might think, oh, that will never happen in the United States. Friends, (laughs) you need to wake up. You need to look around. Even in Canada, our neighbor to the north, um, there is a pastor who is currently right now in jail, in jail because of his refusal to comply. So these are things to be um, concerned about, yes, um, but not worried. Um, and we are to be ready to find the joy there because the trial is coming. Um, and who knows where this thing is going to going to end. Um, I don't know that it is even necessary for Um, our rulers to even change the constitution they could put something in place just like we've done with the covid lockdowns that we've seen the government says it's for your own good and you do want to be a good citizen don't you so do the right thing and stop going to church meanwhile we're going to keep all the bars and restaurants open but you church people um, you might spread disease so just be ready friends Um, be ready and what are we to do? We're to count it all joy. We are to know that God is working something out of this that's going to be beautiful when it is done because I'm gonna be conformed to the image of His son. It's one of the whole reasons that we call this the forge. Imagine if you will, the anvil and the heat and the metal. And imagine the blacksmith or the metal worker working with that metal, bending it and heating it and folding it and beating it again with a hammer and slamming against it until it is formed into the beautiful work of art that he wanted it to be. And it would have come no other way except through the heat of the forge. God's forge, God's handful, God's hammer pounding into you to mold you and to make you what he wants you to be for his glory and for your good. So moving on to verse five, what is wisdom? I've heard it explained like this. Wisdom is the ability to apply knowledge and make a quote unquote wise choice when the circumstances are difficult. So if you don't know what to do, If you lack wisdom, the scripture tells us here to ask God. And certainly if you are facing a trial, if you're facing something like what I believe we are going to face here in the United States, then we're going to need wisdom and we're going to need uh, really and truly the Holy Spirit kind of wisdom. That's what we're talking about. I'm not talking about the wisdom of men. I'm talking about the wisdom that comes from God. And when we ask of God, tells us in verse 6, we're not to doubt. And what does James tell us about this? He calls this the double-minded man. He tells us that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So be sure that when you ask, you're asking with the correct motivation. And we're not there yet. I'm going to jump ahead just a little bit. James is going to tell us in chapter 4, verse 3, that... um, we ask amiss. In other words, we're not asking with the right motive. We ask for things so that why, so we can consume it on our own lust that we can spend it for pleasure. And so why are you asking? Well, you're asking for wisdom, hopefully for his glory, for his good purposes in you. What is your motivation? Are you motivated by self? Are you motivated because you want your life to be for Christ, about Christ all the time? You know, in Matthew 21, Jesus promised that he would answer our prayers if we believe. Did you know that? So the question is not, Is does God have the power to answer you? Is God going to answer you? Absolutely, he is. But the question is, are you asking amiss or Are you asking according to his will, his will and not your own? And I've heard it said, you know, people would pray for the will of God and and actually be chastised for it. I didn't want you to pray for God's will. I wanted you to pray for this thing to go the way I want it to go. Friends, you can never go wrong by saying, as our Lord said, not my will, but thy will will be done. Thy will be done. Lord, whatever you want, how can that be wrong? Your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. So you do, God, whatever is in your good purposes to do. All I ask is that you teach me to submit, teach me to follow, give me the grace and the strength to endure, whatever it may be. So as we look at uh, verse 9 through 11, we see something here about money, wealth, and position. It means absolutely nothing to God. So there's this kind of play on words here. This is a reason to rejoice if you're so-called poor in the world's eyes. And similarly, if you've got a lot of money, and you've got riches and possessions, and you've got a high place in society, um, understand something. And we've seen it. If you think about it, um, it can be lost so easily. So easily it can all be lost. And so, dear Christian, if you lost everything, what would you have left? Only what's in your heart. Only what's true. What do you have left? Well, friends, if you're not a Christian, if you don't have Christ, what do you have left if everything, all of these riches, all of these things go away? What do you have left? Something to think about. For the Christians, for the believers, our life our things the material wealth all of the this physical world that we live in it's nothing and if we lost what little bit we have we still have christ in fact that is having that relationship with jesus christ is more valuable than silver more valuable than gold you know a new car a new house land a great retirement plan money in the bank, you know, (laughs) Jesus is what you need. So question for you, dear Christian, have you tossed him aside for the temporary pleasures of this life? Have you tossed him aside? Verse 12, we must understand the difference between a trial and the attempted seduction from the enemy. You know, the idea here is a time of testing or proving. So let's read verse 12 to just give it a little bit of context. Verse 12, blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. A trial is going to be a test of faith. It's going to be a test of patience and stamina. And guess what? It's usually almost always going to come by suffering. But temptation, on the other hand, begins with an evil thought. It's sometimes generated, and I I really do believe this with all my heart. It comes from within my own heart. You know, my heart is deceitfully wicked. And, you know, I've heard, we've all heard, the devil made me do it, or the devil was tempting me, or there was this or there was that, and it was purely from Satan. Friends, I, I don't doubt that. Listen, our adversary is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may may devour. He is looking to kill you, to steal from you, to destroy you. But that said, I believe that oftentimes we give the devil way too much credit. What I mean by that is we have it within ourselves to have some evil thought come in and we begin to meditate on it. And I believe those evil thoughts come from within because the Bible tells me that my heart is deceitfully wicked. People will often tell me, well, I just know this is correct because I feel this way, or I feel that way, or this just feels right, or I felt this. Friends, don't go with your feelings. Your heart is an idle factory. Your heart cannot be trusted. I'll tell you what can be trusted. (laughs) The word of God can be trusted. Measure your feelings against what the word of God clearly states. So the difference between a trial and a temptation is simply that. Temptation begins with an evil thought. A trial is going to be a test of faith, patience, and stamina. The trial is always going to have suffering attached to it. Temptation that's going to come from within your own heart. So in this next segment, I've got about eight minutes left in the podcast. And as I have shared already, I'm trying to keep these podcasts right in the neighborhood of 25 to 30 minutes really don't want to go any longer than 30 minutes at this point So I decided that what I would do was give you a just a little bit of a taste of where we're heading uh, With verse 13 with James chapter 1 verse 13, which is where we'll pick it up with our next podcast there's seven steps to sin seven steps to sin and They're drawn out for us here by James Uh, interesting that I said the word drawn because that's the first thing that James says he says first we're drawn second there is a lust in the heart lust is simply this it is desiring something that you can't have normally people think of lust as Uh, is sexual in nature and certainly it is why because you're usually wanting something that you can't have you're not allowed to have that but lust can really be for anything Uh, number three enticed there's an enticement that happens number four conceived what the sin is actually conceived it's planned it's in the heart number five then comes the action action i've decided i'm going to do it and i do it so i was number 1 drawn number 2 lust in my heart number 3 enticed number 4 <clears throat> conceived or planned number 5 give it action we're going to do it then number 6 it becomes full grown and number 7 the end result is always the same. The end result of sin is always death. The Bible tells us in Romans, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Think about that. Wages, something that you earn, something that you have worked for, Something where, you know, if I went to work and, and I agreed to a certain salary or a certain dollar amount per hour, and I go and I do that work and I, I get that payment, then that's a wage. That is something that I earned. I worked for it. I gave something up so that I could get paid. So that's what a wage is. The wages of sin is always death. Death. Always death. So guess what? You did it. You earned it. Here's your payment. However, there's good news. It says, but the gift of God. What is a gift? It's something that I did not earn. In fact, it was something that somebody just gave me. Think of a present on your birthday, on Christmas, a special occasion, a gift gift. You didn't pay for it the minute you try to pay for it or you try to help out with the payment. Oh, you shouldn't have spent that much money on me here. Let me give you a little bit of money toward that gift. Well, guess what? It's no longer a gift. then, is it? No, because now I'm trying to pay for it. So a gift is free. Included in that definition of that word gift is the understanding that it's free. It's a free gift for you. Like a salesman might say, hey, I've got a free gift for you. Isn't that amazing? Wages, something I earn, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So there you have it, seven steps to sin. We're also going to bring out the point that, you know, a test from God does not provoke you to evil. A test from God does not provoke you to evil. A test from God builds the strength. It builds the stamina. And it always is going to include some form of suffering. You are going to give up something that you so dearly love or want to cling to or want to hold on to. So I hope that's kind of got you interested in where we're going. There's a lot more coming as we're going to finish up chapter one and get into chapter two. Remember, the takeaway for this chapter for james chapter one the takeaway is anybody anybody it is the testing of our faith the testing of our faith with that said i hope this is a blessing to you i hope that you found encouragement here as we continue to study god's word verse by verse chapter by chapter